If you would, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I'll be reading that whole chapter in a few moments. As you're looking for that, let me uh, remind you that we're having adult Bible school this year, as well as the children in Bible school. The youth are going to be at youth camp. But uh, stop and think a few moments. What do you depend upon when life is rough? Do you ever wonder why the wicked seem to be prospering, especially if you're having a hard time? Do you feel like your spiritual life is ever down, then up, then back down again? The psalmist struggled with some of those very things, and we're going to be looking at those in the adult Bible school as we examine some of the psalms this week, and also a little bonus section on why we can trust the Word of God, and believe that Jesus is who He said He was. Well, it'll be a, a video section on that. So I invite all of you adults to attend Bible school this week. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Back in the late 60s, there was a popular song, and the lyrics said, What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Some of you, I see you mouthed you know that. Uh, 45 years when that song was released, and it's still true, isn't it? The world still needs love. You look and you see what the Taliban and the other Islamic militants are trying to do. You hear about the school shootings. You realize the disintegration of families. You know that a lot of churches get in trouble with squabbling with one another. Not much has changed, has it? The world needs some love. We need to think about what love is. Now, think, what is love? Well, you know, it's an affection. It's compassion. It's devotion. It's an emotion or a feeling. The trouble is, we overwork the word love. You know, we say, I love God. We say, I love my mate. We say, I love Mexican food. We say, I love baseball. Now, hopefully you love your mate more than you love a taco. But, you know, we overwork that word, don't we? What is, what is he talking about when Paul is going to be talking about love here? What is he talking about? What he's talking about is a God type of love. You know, there, there are all of the other types. They're, they're, they're the types that mean like, like we like a taco or we like baseball. There is the, the, the type that is the, the, the sexual kind of love. There's the type that's the friendship kind of love. But Paul is talking about the God kind of love. He's talking about the God kind of love that made us, the God kind of love that sent Jesus into the world. It's the God kind of love we see reflected in Jesus' life and His ministry as He dealt with people and as He ministered to people and as He helped people. We see it in Jesus dying on the cross because the God type of love is a self-sacrificing kind of love. And that's the kind of love that the world has always needed, that the world needs right now, that we need right now. So, that's the kind of love he's talking about as we look at this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church when he wrote this. And the Corinthian church was a, a, a new church. Churches were just being established. But it, even though it seemed to be a, a fast-growing church, it was a church full of problems. And the problems had to do with the people in the church. Usually the way it works, isn't it? Uh, they were saying, well, you know, I like, this is my favorite spiritual leader. And another group was saying, this is my favorite spiritual leader. And they would say, you know, my leader's better than your leader. No wonder he was talking about childish ways. And they you know, had trouble with immorality. They had trouble with saying, my spiritual gift is better than your spiritual gift. If you were as spiritual as I am spiritual, you would have a better spiritual gift. Or, you know, I've given this much to such and such a cause, and that's more than you are given. I must be a better Christian than you are. They had their problems. And so Paul was writing to address their problems, and at the heart of it was their lack of love for one another. And so he was calling them back to love. And he was saying there are three foundations to the Christian religion, faith and hope and love. Now, these are intertwined. You've got to have faith in God and faith in what God is doing if you're going to love others. You've got to have a belief or a faith in God's resurrection, in Christ's resurrection, if you're going to really put your faith in following Jesus. You've got to be thinking you're going to serve the risen Lord. And you're going to let your faith and your hope show by the acts of love that you do. So it's all interrelated, but Paul said the greatest one of them is love. That's our goal. That's, that's the gold standard. That's what we're supposed to have. Now, this passage is going to tell what love is, what it's not, and what it does. First of all, it tells us what love is. And it says here in verse 4, love is patient. Don't you hate they put that first? <laughs> love is patient. Paul went on and explained that when he wrote the Thessalonians. It said, be patient with everyone. 
Be patient with that guy who's tailgating you on the interstate, though he can see perfectly well that there are two lines of traffic in front of you and you're going as fast as you can. You've got to be patient with him. Boy, that's hard. You've got to be patient with the woman in front of you in Walmart in the checkout line who's got four different orders, 97 coupons, and her gift card won't work. We've got to be patient with them. It's not always easy to be patient, is it? We've got to be patient with everyone. In other words, we've got to realize, hey, you know, we've got to give God control. We've got to show others love and consideration. We've got to put them first instead of putting self first. Jesus was patient even with those who crucified him. We have to be patient. You know why we have to be patient? Because God has been patient with us. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. We don't treat others like they deserve to be treated, with a lot of impatience sometimes, but with patience and with love and concern. So, love is patient. Then it says, love is kind. People hurt. You realize that? They have sorrows, they have heartbreaks, they have struggles. When we gather together as the family of God, we don't really know what each other's going through, the hurts we're struggling with. Same thing with the people we work with. Sometimes the same thing in the people in our own household. We need to be kind, concerned. Look at Jesus' life. Look how he was always kind to people, always concerned about them, always willing to look at their needs and respond to meeting their needs. Being kind is not looking out for yourself so much as it's looking out for the other person. Ten-year-old girl found a wallet. She was excited. She knew how that worked. She had looked in it, didn't have any money in it, but you took somebody's wallet back to them, you got a reward. So that wallet had an address in it, and she pestered her dad all day long. Please take me to this guy's house. Take me to this man's house. I want to get that reward. So finally her father relented, and he drove her to the address. They went up to the door. It was, you know, military housing. It had a torn screen door, just, you know, not, not a uh, place that spoke of a lot of money, so to speak. And, uh, you know, the, as the girl went to ring the doorbell, her dad took out three $20 bills and put them in the wallet. The girl's a grown woman now. She said, turns out my reward was seeing one of life's real heroes in action. The father was kind, and that was a blessing to his daughter because she learned about being kind. We learn to be kind. Love is kind. And then Paul goes on and he gives a lot of illustrations about what love is not. I like to read uh, road tests of new automobiles. And 
there was a comparison test between several models one time that I was reading about. And one of the cars that finished really well, finished really well because the ones who were testing it says, it doesn't do a lot of stuff wrong. You know, you crank it up and the engine doesn't rev and rev and rev. Said the, the accelerator pedal's not touchy. It doesn't jerk when it changes gears. When you get it on the interstate, it doesn't wander, but tracks in a straight line. You know, sometimes good is good because of what it doesn't do bad. And so that's kind of what Paul is talking about here. And he gets in the last part of verse 4. He said, love is not jealous. In other words, love doesn't envy. You know, it's easy for us to envy, you know, I want what you got or I want what you are. You know, and it, it, it breeds a lot of discontent. Sometimes it can breed strife and trouble. Sometimes it even breeds crime. You know, but, but if you love, then you can celebrate what God has done to bless another person. It kind of goes back to the trust. You know that God's going to take care of you. You don't have to envy. And love is not boastful or arrogant. You know, you've run into people who say, you know, this is what I've done, this is what I've accomplished, this is what I've made out of myself. I, 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 I. One of the translations uses the, uh, the descriptive words puffed up. You ever seen people that are kind of like balloons filled with hot air? <laughs> you know, they're just full of themselves and it's hot air. Love is it that way. This is that way. Love isn't rude. My goodness, we have a lot of rude people in the world today. We've lost our manners, and that's not good. Jesus wasn't rude. Jesus wasn't rude to the people who pressed in around him and made such demands on him that sometimes he missed meals. Jesus wasn't rude to the woman taken in adultery. Jesus wasn't rude to the ones who crucified him. Instead, he prayed for them. We shouldn't be rude. And then we shouldn't be self-seeking. And maybe this is kind of in the middle of this list because this is kind of the heart of it, isn't it? It's easy to be self-seeking. Looking out for number one. I want what I want when I want it. Don't get in my way. Yeah. Love in that way. It's not seeking for self. It's seeking for others because you hope that God's going to watch over you and you have the faith that He is and He's going to take care of you. He said, I will meet all of your needs according to my riches and glory. We don't have to be self-seeking. We have a Father who's going to provide for us. He's not going to fail us. He's not going to forsake us. We don't have to be self-seeking. We've got a Father who will seek our good far better than any of us can seek our own good. Not self-seeking. Not easily angered. You know, some people are just easily angered. They can fly off the handle in a hurry. They're touchy. They get angry at a whole lot of things, a whole lot of little things. A little boy and his mother were driving down the highway one day, and the little boy said, Mom, how come the idiots only come out when Daddy's driving? <laughs> Sometimes we're easily angered. You women are laughing far too much at that. <laughs> resentful. Some people are resentful, aren't they? They make a record of wrongs. They keep up with it. They don't forget it. You know, this person did this to me. Ah, write it down. It's like they keep a ledger. Resentful. I've been wrong. I've been hurt. I've been shortchanged. I'm not going to put up with it. 
That's not love. That's just going back to that self-seeking. Delighting in evil. Aha! I caught you doing so-and-so. That makes me better than you. I may have done this, but you did that, so I'm all right. We delight in evil a lot of times because we think it justifies our own evil. And it doesn't. Not before a holy God, it doesn't. Delighting in evil. What love does. It delights in the truth, rejoices with the truth. Doesn't delight in evil, it delights in good. It delights in things that are the things that really matter. It, It delights in catching someone doing the right thing and praising them for it. It's it's delighting in those things that build up. Love always protects. It watches over. It covers up the things that are wrong. Over in Job chapter 14, Job said this, My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sins. Because Jesus died on the cross, because He shed His blood on the cross, Our sin is covered over by the blood of Christ so that in love God covered over our sin so that we don't have to pay the price for it, so that we can be forgiven. God doesn't see our sin. He sees the sacrifice of Christ. And if we love, we act the same way. Simon Peter said, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sin. Love protects, protects the relationship by covering over the sin and the shortcomings and the failures. Love always trusts. It trusts that eventually that person who's not on the right track is going to get on the right track. It trusts that God is going to work and He's going to work in people's lives and He's going to work in circumstances and He's going to make things better. It always trusts, so it gives a second chance, and it gives a third chance, and it gives many chances because it's trusting that eventually something good will be brought about by God Himself. It always hopes. It always earnestly desires that God is going to work in a situation, that God is going to work with people, that God is going to change things for the better. And the hope is not in well, maybe this is going to happen. The hope is in an almighty God who is working in all things for good. Hope always hopes, always perseveres, always hangs in there. No matter what the attack on the enemy, it always hangs in there. From the enemy, it always hangs in there. No matter what the difficulty, no matter how hard the struggle, it keeps hanging on so that it can keep moving forward. Jesus persevered all the way to the cross, all the way through the cross. Love perseveres. Love is needed in the church. In the church, in our nation today, love is needed. Now, love is to be the distinguishing mark of believers. Remember what Jesus said? He made it plain. We read it at the beginning of the service. He said, I give you a new command, love one another. As I have loved you, pretty tall command, as Jesus has loved us, you also must love one another. 
By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? By loving one another. When we love one another and show that love, we're going to be different from the world, and people just instinctively know that what the world needs now is love, sweet love, and if they see it in the church, they're going to be drawn to the church. You know what the problem is today? The church in America has lost its spiritual power. We've got buildings, we've got programs, we've got talented leaders, we've got everything you can imagine except the two things we really need. We've lost our love for Christ. He's to be our first love. How often do you give Him first place? You know what happens to us? We say, I love Christ, but I've got to do this today, and I've got to do that today, and I'm busy with this, and so-and-so is making this demand, and that, you know. And pretty soon, we've forgotten Him. He's at the bottom of our list. And He's supposed to be at the top. And it's easy for us to do that as a church. We're so busy with everything we need to do, we don't love Christ as we should. And we don't put Him at the top of our list to come and worship Him and adore Him and praise Him and listen to Him and be strengthened by Him and be guided by Him. We've lost our love for sinners because somehow or another we think, well, you know, we're busy with this and we're busy with that and they're probably going to come around sooner or later anyhow. We need, when we have the opportunity, to show them love, to show them the same love God has shown us and not expect them to be able to act like we act because they haven't been changed as we have supposed to have been changed. We're to be different, different in how we show that love to everybody and especially to those who don't yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because when they see His love in us and are touched by it through us, then they're drawn to Him so that they can have it firsthand. We need to make our Christ, our first love, so that He can continue to love us and so that He can love others through us. Love's needed in our homes. We need the patience that's described in this passage of Scripture. You know, it's not always easy leaving even with your own family. I heard about somebody asked a, a father one day who had some rowdy children and said, would you have children again if you had it to do over? He said, yeah, just not these. <laughs> we need patience with each other at home. We need the patience that keeps us from being rude even at home. Sometimes we're rude to the people we say that we love the most in ways that we wouldn't be rude to a perfect stranger. No, we need patience. We need that kindness. That kindness which, you know, is just sensitive to each other's needs and responds to each other's needs. And sometimes that gets a little hard because we're kind of so busy with ourselves, we're not seeing the needs around us. We're not being sensitive to them. Husband and wife went on a marriage enrichment retreat. And the speaker, you know, got to talking to the men and said, you know, you ought to be 
keyed into what your wives want, what your wives feel, what your needs is. Can you tell me what your wife's favorite flower is? And one man said, I think it's Pillsbury. <laughs> Sometimes we miss what's going on when it's so very obvious and we need to see it and we need to respond to those needs. What if we stopped our self-seeking and put others and our family first? What would happen? If it wasn't so much what I want you to do for me, as it's what I want you, me to do for you. And what if everybody was acting that way? What a difference it would make. What if we started to forgive? What if we burned our lists, our ledger we've been keeping? Well, so and so and so and so and so. Sometimes people keep those ledgers. Sometimes husbands and wives keep those ledgers for years, and all of a sudden there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. Don't keep them. Forgive. Let it be done. Someone said of Abraham Lincoln that he never forgot a kindness and never remembered a wrong. Good way to live at home, isn't it? What if we put all of the positives in this passage that work in our homes? What if we were patient? What if we were kind? What if we always sought to protect, always sought to trust, always hoped, giving each other a chance and a chance and a chance again? What if we persevered and kept at it and kept at it to make it work as it should? Love is needed not just in the church. Love is needed in this, our church. We need to be patient with each other. My goodness. You know, I've, I've gotten to know you some. You know, one of the things I found out, they ain't none of you perfect. And I'm not either. We're all going to make mistakes. We've got to be patient with each other. It's just part of it. We've got to be kind with each other. Yeah. Again, we don't know what some of you are going through. Be kind to everyone. They may need that kindness that day. We need to put away our envy, our anger, our resentment. We, we need to just get rid of these things. They don't need to be there anymore. Tear up the list that you've got to get some of your fellow church members. Well, he did so-and-so to me. Do you know what she said to me? No, and I don't care, and I want you to tear up the list. What if every single Sunday, each of you gave everybody else a whole brand new sheet because the other one was gone, and we could come together as the people of God without bitterness, without animosity, without remembering what had been done in the past, and just start over anew each Sunday. God does that with you each and every day. He has to, or we wouldn't be fit to be in His presence. We need to do it with each other. We hang on to things in the church that don't belong here.
Let's forgive the wrongs. Let's give a new start. Let's rejoice with each other. Man, we've got a fantastic church. We do have a lot of love. We do have a lot of concern. And we can rejoice in what's taking place here among the people. We can rejoice in what God is doing here. What if we really loved the lost? If we made them feel so welcome, so loved when they came into this building, they'd want to come back and come back and come back. What if we figured out some ways to show that love in the community and did it on a regular basis? What if we told people what Jesus means to us just so that they could know that we serve a God of love? What a difference it would make. Now remember something. We can't love family. We can't love church members. We can't love the people around us in our own strength. What Paul calls us to do in this passage of Scripture is humanly impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. He can live through us. He can put that love within us. This is what the Scripture says. We love because He first loved us. When you've experienced God's love, then you understand what it's about. When you experienced God's forgiveness, God's patience, God's kindness. Then you know what it's about. And then you can pass it on to others. And when you've received Christ, you don't live in human strength. You live in the strength of the Spirit of Christ that is within you. So that you can do what God called you to do here in these verses. So today, you need to accept God's acceptance of you. You need to accept His forgiveness. You need to accept his kindness. You need to accept his love for you as an individual. Maybe today you would receive Jesus as your Savior and let him come and forgive you and live in you and guide you and bless you now and for eternity. And maybe today you would let God's love flow into you and through you and out to others. And today you would come and say, Lord, that's what I want. Flow in me. Flow through me. Help me. At church, at home, out in the world, wherever I am, help me to show your love. Your invitation to him this morning is number 374.